Joe. The title of this message is Hope Through the Worst of Times. As a Christian, I still was an ex-pastor. I get a lot of people calling and asking, what do you think about the times we live in? First of all, Roger said this quite a while back, but I remember him saying, you have to remember a long time ago, things were really quite worse. What's happened in the country we live in, if you're an American, we've seen the, just the amount of people that believe in a God or any type of morality, we've seen that digress and digress and digress. So we are wondering, Lord, what do we need to do here? Well, the same thing we need to do throughout the centuries is we need to just preach the gospel which is what you get here. It's one thing when I talked to John when we were looking for a church, if most of you know John and Terry Melville, most of you know him. John said, the one thing I can tell you about Roger is he doesn't go very far from the gospel. And if you don't know what the gospel is, you'll stay here long enough, you'll know what the gospel is. And it is the heart of everything we as Christians should be doing. And it's the heart of everything we should be teaching. So when you say, well, why are we turning to the book of Job? Well, we're going to see here in a little bit, I hope, the gospel in the book of Job. But I don't mean when I say hope through the worst of times. What I mean by that is not necessarily the times we live in, but for each and every one of us individually. If you live long enough, you'll have some times you look back and you're going to go, that was the worst of times. And... I had that a few years back in our lives when still looking back and even looking forward, I have to say uh, there was a time in 2009 where that was the worst of times for me. And I, recently I spoke to someone else that had lost a child, and she told me, she said she'd been looking at the book of Job. So that's where I turned, and I read the book of Job several times. Now it's 42 chapters. We're going to start in chapter 1, and we're going to go to chapter 42. So we should be out in time for the Chiefs game. Uh, just kidding. Uh, uh, kind of. <laughs> and I think we have most of these, so if you'll follow along, I think they got most of these verses behind me. You have to forgive me. I'm not used to all this stuff over my head and all around. When I was pastoring, we simply had the Bible. Now, there's nothing wrong with putting it up here. I'm at least that progressive. I don't mind that. But uh, if you don't have your Bible, I think they're going to put that uh, behind us. But we're going to start right off. Job, in chapter 1, it says, In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. The man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes. I thought that was kind of appropriate, being the New Year's Eve night. Uh, his sons and daughters had feasts. They were just careful did, the, the three sisters to eat and drink with them. Verse 5, when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thanking, perhaps, and this is Job talking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. I'm going to stop there for a second. We need to see something about Job. First of all, he was the priest of his family. He knew enough. Now, you have to go back a long ways to know when Job lived, probably around the time of Abraham. Uh, as, jo as God was working in Abraham's life, he was also working in Job's life. If you've read the Bible, he can work in a lot of different ways and a lot of different people, actually in all of our lives. But he was the priest of his family, and he would take burnt offerings. He knew to do this. And say, Lord, if my children have sinned, please forgive them for their sins. 
But there was four things that I want to talk about really quickly about him. First of all, it says something. He was blameless. Actually, some of your translations may say perfect. That does not mean he was sinless. Of course it doesn't mean he was sinless. What it means is he was a very religious man in a good way. We, you know, we as Christians say, I don't want religion, I want Christ, and I get that. But used to be when the writers talked about the re religion, there was a good religion. The kind of man that was religious towards God. It's still good today to be a religious man as long as you point it to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Don't ever forget that. So he was perfect in that. In other words, he was a righteous man. Not perfect, not sinless, but righteous. He wanted to do what he knew what was right. He obeyed God's commandments. He aimed for perfection. And is that, that's, that's our aim. We're never going to achieve it this, type, this side of eternity, but that is our aim. And he was always reverent towards God. It says he was upright. You know what that means? He was upright before men and before God. He did the right thing. In business dealings, he did the right thing. You know those kind of people. I actually have the privilege of living right beside my brother-in-law, uh, Dennis Ross. And if none of you know him, that's fine. But I do know him, and I know him quite well. And he used to build houses around here. And I know Dennis's character. I'm going to talk about character a lot. And if someone were to tell me Dennis Ross cheated me, I would say, you're sadly mistaken. He's not the kind of man that would cheat you. He's the kind of man that would give you. He gives money all the time. So I, I'm just using that as an instance of he's a, he, Job was an upright man. He dealt with people rightly. He dealt with God rightly. Next, he feared God. That's a word I'm not going to make apologies for. It. It's all throughout the scripture, and I have at the past because I think people, they see that, and they're like, oh, it's a bad thing to fear God. Remember this. This is easy to remember. Fear God in the way you would fear a good father. But remember, God is a great father. He is the perfect father. He always wants what's best for us. So fearing him is like you fear that way. Actually, there's so many verses in Proverbs that say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is to know the Holy One. Actually, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. We have so many people that call upon God and say they know God, but they don't hate evil. As a matter of fact, today they not only love it, they applaud people that live a life that is just evil and perverse, and that is not the kind of person Job was. He feared God. And because he feared God, he hated evil. Some of your translations say he shunned evil. And last but not least, he was very prosperous. That wasn't Job's goal in following God, and we will see that. But God did bless his hands, and he was probably, some say, the richest man on earth at the time. I don't know that. really don't care. All I know is that he was prosperous. Now, we have in the next few verses, verses 6 through 12, we have Job's first test. We're going to read this. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan. Also, Satan came with him. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil. Does, God, does Job fear God for nothing? This is Satan. No, excuse me. Uh, Satan replied, yeah, that was Satan in verse 9. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Now what Satan's saying is you've protected him, so of course he's going to worship you. It goes on in the rest of the verse. You have blessed the work of his hands, and so his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. 
but stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, very well, then everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lie a finger. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Stop there. First of all, there's, there's so many truths we can glean here, right? I just have two I want to talk about. God's real and Satan's real. And this is a real conversation that's going on. We live in a world that we, we kind of spiritualize the things of God and Satan and maybe believe that he's not real. Friend, our enemy, actually, when we did our study in Ephesians, do you remember it says our enemy isn't against flesh and blood? It's against principalities. It's against you and me. Satan wants nothing more than to destroy what's going on in this church and every church that lifts him up. Nothing more. He wants us to turn on one another. He wants us to gossip about one another. He wants us to do all kinds of things. And remember, Satan is never and never has been on your side, and God always is on your side. Always, Satan always wants, I can't understand people that go out and worship Satan. You know what? Satan's not on their side either. He wants to destroy him. If God lifted his hand of grace from us, even from the unbeliever, Satan would destroy us all. He doesn't like us because he looks down from heaven and he says, God, I made one, I, I, made, I sinned against you, yes, God, but these, these people you created... They've sinned against you and sinned against you and yet you come in human flesh and die for them on the cross and you redeem them and you save them. You didn't give me a second chance. You do know that, right? Satan and his demons didn't get a second chance. One chance. They sinned and God said, you're out of here. And one day, they will be eternally in hell where they belong. And only by the grace of God will I not be there and will you not be there. But Satan's never on your side. That's first of all. Second thing, there's two realities here in the universe. There's one we see here. This is really important to our spiritual walk. I'm learning this more and more. This is one reality. We're here today. We're really here. We're seeing things. We're experiencing things. You're listening to me. There's also another reality going on that's just as real. As a matter of fact, probably more real because it's more grand. There's a reality that we call heaven, which there's a lot of theology there we could talk to, but let's talk this. There's a place, there's another reality right now where God's at. There's another reality where Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God the Father. The risen Savior... A risen God and a risen man sits at the right hand of God the Father. That's a reality. Friends, if you have had loved ones go on before you, in other words, they died, their bodies are buried today, if they were believers, they're in that reality. So remember, there's always two, two realities we need to be concerned with. And it's funny that every song we sung, even this morning, talks a lot about the other reality. For instance, let me give you an example. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, Fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen, what we see here is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That is so important for us to remember when we look at this book of Job, what happens to him, and you know, God never gave him a reason for what happened. He never answered his questions of why did this happen to me? A righteous man, a God that feared you, God, and you allowed this to happen. Why did this happen? God never told him. Well, when we look at things through the lens of eternity, an eternal lens, when we look at the things of what's going on in the other reality, the reality that's going to be Forever. This is temporal. This is all going to be taken away. I think it's the key to living the spiritual life. The more I learn, 
the more I see and the more I feel and the more I go forward as I get older and older, the more I fix my eyes and my thoughts on the things that are eternal, oh, the more God-honoring I can be. And it's true for all of us. Let me give you one other verse, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since then, we have been raised with Christ. Another important aspect of our Christian life. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the key here is, and I think it was for Job too, is somehow through revelation, Job had this eternal mindset. He had his heart set on things that were future, things that were going to happen. Yet You go to Hebrews chapter 11 and you see that great, that great chapter that talks about all these men and women that had great faith, they were always looking to their future glory, to their future rewards, to the future eternity that they'd live with heaven, or excuse me, live in heaven with God. So I think that's key here for us. I think it's key for Job as he moves forward and what's going to happen to him. As a matter of fact, we see in Colossians it says something that says, since then you've been raised with Christ. If you've been raised with Christ, is Christ your Savior? Then set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. You know, there's a lot of simple truths here. I like one, and I think Roger said this. I, I was talking to Michael about this Thursday a little bit. I think he's the one I got this from said something to me one day, he says, as he walked, and he's been a pastor uh, a long time since he was young, and he hasn't always had the best of experiences in churches. Actually, he'll tell you this is the best church he's ever served in, and that is, thank you all, because I know it's difficult for a pastor that doesn't have people that support him, and he does here. Thank you. May God bless you for that. I think he will. Roger said, I've learned in life to obey God's word. And then as soon as I obey, guess what comes? Dying to self. It, all, it always, that's the way God does it. You obey, then you got to die to self. And then comes the blessing. Then comes the blessing. We can put it even here when we look at this. Even in these verses, it says die to self. Because you're a Christian, you die to self, and God is going to God's number one goal in our life after we become Christians is to be Christ-like. And for us to become Christ-like, I'm learning, I just have to learn to die to self. And just say, God, my life's yours. No matter what you want from me, you have me. Dying to self is key. Actually, in one of the books I'm reading now by Francis Schaeffer, it's called True Spirituality. He came to a place, and he's a, a great theologian. He's not alive anymore. But he came to a uh, crossroad in his ministry. And he said, I just, I want to live this godly life, but I don't know what to do. And he wrote this book try, trying to figure out what is it to be truly spiritual, to be truly Christ-like, to truly follow Christ. And he came up with kind of the same outline. He said, as we walk through this life as Christians, will be rejected, will be slain, and then comes the resurrection. That's when we start walking in Christ, after we felt the rejection, after we've been slain, the slain parts dying to self. We all know as we continue to walk with Christ, you will be rejected. The world will reject you. If you speak Christ enough, the world will reject you. Even in the community we live in, you can be a God and guns follower and everybody will be okay with that. But if you're a Jesus Christ follower more than anything, you will be rejected many times. 
Go on social media, and when people are talking about God, you bring up, oh, not just God, let's talk about Jesus, God in the flesh that came and died for my sins and literally rose again. You start talking about that, and you'll get a lot of people that are God and guns just leave. They'll leave the site, or they will do what a lot of brave people do on social media, cuss you out one end and down the other, and then when you go see them, They'll backpedal and say, oh, I didn't really say that. You ever tried? I had that happen one time, but oh well, moving on. Uh, <clears throat> that's not a good point in my life. I'm learning to die to self, and, and part of that is just keep my mouth shut when people reject Jesus. Because who are they rejecting? They're not rejecting, uh, they're rejecting Jesus. So the first test, let's look at this in verses 13 through 19. One day. When Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house, there's a message in that too, but I just got to move on. Can't, can't go through all of them. A messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And these people attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one has escaped to tell you. I want you, to, I want you to really live this. This really happened to Job. Really happened. Verse 16. While he was still speaking, the servant, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Verse 17. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down from uh, on your camels and carried your camels off. They put your servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Verse 18, while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one to tell you. Now, remember, I said there's two realities. You have to remember, this isn't a story. This isn't just trying to teach us little things. This really happened to this man called Job. He lost everything. Everything. Now, I like looking at the other characters. Let's, let's go away from Job just a little bit. What about all these other characters? Even the animals. As I get older, I, I, my dog, I have a dog and I treat him way too good. He, he gets eggs in the morning and ham in the morning and he just, God, he's so spoiled. And I, I can't believe, I, I, I never disliked animals, but I treat him, well, sometimes he's nicer than, there. But, you know, we, we get attached to these animals. But you think about these things about animals. All these animals died. All these servants died. All his children died. What I want us to see in this is God's sovereignty. Friends, we don't have answers for all these things. Even when you look at the non-Jobs of this, these other people, they had lives. They mattered. Do not think for a second they didn't matter to God. They did. But remember what's going on here. God's saying to, to Satan, he's saying, go test Job. And all these creatures and all these people die. And he never gives them the reason why this happened. Now, this is the world I've been in. I'm 64 years old. I believe with all my heart God came in the flesh. And we call that man and that God-man Jesus Christ. Believe it with all my heart. Most of you, I think, do too. Maybe all of you. I have no idea. We believe that. We stand firm on that. No matter what happens, we preach that and teach that to others. We're trying to live that. But there's times when God just doesn't make sense. I'm sorry. I'm trying to be honest here. 
There's things that go on in our lives, in your life, where you just go, why? And I'm not necessarily saying that's the wrong thing to ask. What I'm saying is sometimes you don't get an answer for the why. There's a lot of things going on here. A lot of people died. Let's look at Job's response. At this, Job got up and tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. (laughs) How do you do that? In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. There's the key. I don't know what's gone on in your life. I know in my life, I have questions why things happen even now. What's going on? About a year ago, because someone asked me to come to church here, I started coming. I realized, and I preached this a while back, I'd backslidden. I was still in the Word, but... I wasn't where I should be. And since then, I've been telling God, you know, whatever you want from me, just show me. I'm retired. I can do anything I want right now. Anything just about I want to do, I can do. It's amazing. And I'm just saying, God, whatever you want me to do. And you'd say, well... That's, that's easy for you now. No, it's not. It's, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes the days are hard. As you get older, you get weaker. You get less enthusiastic about all kinds of stuff. But I look at this and I'm like, I want it to be real in my life. If No matter what happens, I want to be able to praise God. But you have, you must have an eternal mindset. Friends, Christianity starts internally. We look at the externals and we judge a lot of things by the externals. But we really should be looking, Christianity, you are, let me put it this way, you are what you believe. And you say, no, 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 it's much more than that. No, what you believe determines where you spend eternity. That's internal. That's why it talks about set your mind, set your heart. That's who you are, your soul, your inner being. You know that? It's not just external. Christianity is much more than just externals, do's and don'ts. There are do's and don'ts after you become a Christian. I get that, but it starts here. It starts in the heart. And I don't know about you, but I want to be the type of man or the type of woman that can go through something like this. Thank God I haven't had to, but similar, but in a way less degree, and say, The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And no matter what, Lord, help me to not sin against you. The second test is quite different on another day. This is chapter 2. The angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, roaming around. We know the story. You know what that means? Satan's among us. Actually, the Bible tells us that he he really has control of the earth only because God gave him that control. But he has control. He can, from where he's at, him and his demons, and I'm not a demon around every corner got a guy, but friends, you need to be in prayer and you need to be, I've heard people say, I ain't afraid of Satan. Oh my goodness. That's just the silliest thing I ever heard. He's a million times more powerful than we ever thought about being. Now, where we have the trump card, we have one up on Satan, and the only people on this earth that have a one up on Satan are those of us that have Christ. And we're in Christ. You have a one up on Christ uh, on Satan. Not, not just I, I put that and that's Way too simplified, is it not? I don't know how else to put it. But you have the trump card. You know 
that you have power over Satan in all things, but only in Christ. So Satan's he's wanting to do things down here. He's wanting to take you out. Now, once again, the Lord says, he, he says the same thing about Job. He's blameless. He's upright. He's a man that fears God and shuns evil, and he maintains his integrity. And listen to God. He says, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Notice, without any reason. Now, that doesn't mean he was sinless, but he didn't, essentially, he didn't deserve that. So if you say, I had something happen in my life, why did this happen? I didn't deserve that. You may be right. How many of the Psalms do we read where the psalmists go, you look and there's these evil people. All they got to do is touch something and it turns into gold and nothing happens to them. And the psalmist would go, what's going on here, God? Even if you read through all of Job, Job says that. He's like, why is this happening to me? I tried to live a godly life and he did. In that way, he was perfect. Not sinless, but in that way, he was perfect. You would thank God at the last of Job would have went, well, let me tell you what went on here, Job. I, I had this thing, this conversation with Satan, and uh, I was testing you. I want you to know that's not what God did. He didn't tell, he didn't answer Job. And he has the right not to answer him. But Job kept his integrity. This happens, and what happens? Of course, we know kind of the rest of the story. I think most of you know this. It said, Satan says, skin for skin, a man will give all he has for his life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will curse you to, his, to your face. He's saying that to Jesus. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores. From the soles of his feet to the top of his head, then Job took a piece of broken pottery, scraping himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Wow. Now I want you to get a picture of this. He's lost everything. Everything. Now he loses his health. Some of us in here know what that's like. Others of us have seen that happening in people's lives. As you see, my father's here today as I see him grow older. There's no doubt. He's getting closer to the grave, and I don't mean that. There's no doubt I'm getting closer to the grave. Actually, none of us know when we're going to slip off and go into that. That's why you need Jesus now. Don't ever put it off another day. I remember when I was a kid sitting in this very church and I'd get convicted and I'd think, well, I'm young. I don't have to, I, don't, I, don't, I ain't going to go down front. Who is our pastor? I, I, uh, Brother Wilkins. Yeah, Wilkins. I remember him. He was, I think, faced this way. So he was there and all the you sat in the very back. We were as far back as you could get. And, but yet I would hear the message sometimes in between fiddling around and I would always think, uh, I got plenty of time. We all know that isn't true, right? Youngster, if you're 12, if you're 14, if you're 15, if you're 20, you don't know if you're going to live. We're ending 2023 today, starting 2024. I never thought I'd see 2024. Any of y'all? I mean, it's like, wow. Never thought I'd see that. There's people here today, right here. Odds are this may be the last year of your life. The only reason why I bring that up, I'm not trying to be a bummer. It's just the truth. And I'm saying, Jesus, this is, this is our Lord. This is the same God, okay? Jesus is saying, come to me. Don't put it off. Don't put it off any longer. Don't put it off one more minute. And you say, well, what I do? Right now, say, Lord God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I need to be saved from that sin. Please save me. That's the, you'll do that. If you mean it, repent. Come to him. Then after you do that, go see Roger. You can go see me too, but if you want to go see Roger, go see Roger. Go see any of the elders around here. Actually, there's a lot of people around here you can go see that I know. You can, be, you can trust them to tell you 
what the next step is, but don't put it off any longer. So this happens, and I want you to see here what the response is. First of all, do not be so hard on Job's wife. Job isn't the only one that lost everything here. I've heard people tease and mock. and Oh, Job's wife said, you know, curse God and die. She's such a blah, 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 blah. Would you please sit in the seat with her for a second? She sees her husband just, he's horrible. I I don't know what was going on in her heart. I'm not saying that's the right response either. But come on, us as Christians, has our first response always been right in times of suffering? (laughs) Uh, I'm laughing because mine hasn't. But she says, curse God and die. Now, this is a man of God. This is, he says, you're talking like a foolish woman. I'm not going to go into that. That is foolishness. Sure it is. But I'm not being hard on her. Don't you think for a second I'm being hard on that woman? Because I'm not. She lost all her children. The children that she birthed. And something happens later on. They have ten more children, so evidently things didn't break up too bad. That's the end of the story. Uh, He says, shall we accept good from God, not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. And then let's be realistic. The rest of the book of Job is his friends came to him. It says the next thing that happened, he had three friends. You guys know, most of you know the story. The friends were just great, weren't they? (laughs) Terrific. They came and comforted him. Actually, you know, I don't know their heart, but it says later on, it says they sympathized with him and they did go to comfort him. And they sat with him for, I think, a whole week while he was sitting there with all these sores in ashes and they didn't say a single word. So I'm not even saying nothing. I make fun of his friends, but I'm not going to say I wouldn't have done maybe the same thing. I don't even know if I would have been a good enough friend to go and sit with him for seven days. And I don't know their motives. Some people claim their motives was this and they wanted to, and they did come off kind of self-righteous here because they kept saying to Job, your problem is you sinned. Well, he did sin, but the point is they kept saying that it's the things he did and that he wasn't a godly man and he didn't fear God right and all this stuff. Well, they were wrong. They were just wrong. In other words, his three friends weren't really much help at all. Now, I I wanted to talk about that because I want to talk to us that have went through struggles. A lot of times our friends mean well, but they won't be any help at all. when When I was a pastor and we lost our daughter, most of you know that, and I just, actually, I'll be honest with you, I, I have learned so much since then. I've learned a whole lot sitting right here. Not only be listening to Roger, but being with you all and just watching things instead of being a pastor. I've, I've learned a lot about myself and learned a lot about this stuff. And we do try, I'm not saying we don't try, but there are things when each and every one of us are going to have to go through it individually with God. It's just one-on-one. You just have to make up your mind with God and say, God, I I really don't have anybody here I can count. Now, that doesn't mean you you don't have friends that care. Please don't think I'm saying that because you may. But there's just some things. Let Let me tell you what I think God's trying to teach us in stuff like this. He's saying, instead of going to your friend or instead of going to your pastor, come to me. And I say that with with some kind of passion because I'm learning that. Don't go to everyone. Go to me. I'm the creator of all you see. The whole universe I created from nothing. Do you not think I can't handle your problem? And I know some of you go, yeah, but he's got so many people. (laughs) He does, but if he can create all that we see, when we look, me and Brenda... I know tough life when we go out in our hot tub in the evening because we're aching and sore and didn't even do much, but I feel like someone's beating me up. And we're sitting there and we, we always talk about the stars. 
Ooh, look how bright that one is, except recently because it's been all cloudy. Look how bright that one is. Do you know when we look into the heavens, our God is the creator of all that? Every bit of it. And if he knows every star, and if he knows every sand, little bitty sand on the shores, he knows you. He knows every thought. He knows everything in us. And yet, he still loves you. And he still says, come to me. Don't go to a king. Don't go to someone else. Don't even sometimes go to a counselor. There may be sometimes when you need to go to a good Christian counselor or something. But he says, come to me. Don't come to someone else. So there's something to be learned here where God just says there's some things we're going to have to go through on an individual basis. And he says, come to me. I want to bring out a few more things and we are going to close. Job, we're, we're going to get to the end really quickly. Job speaks out of his trials from his inward hope. Remember hope in the worst of times? In chapter 13, verse 15, most of you know this, Job says, Though he slay me, yet shall I hope in him. That means though God takes my very life, my hope in him will never cease. Though God takes the life of my child or my dad or someone I love dearly, my hope in him will never cease. Because we have an eternal mindset. We are not thinking about just the things here on earth. If you think for a second, if God calls you, you, not Job, to lose everything for him. It is just a drop in the bucket to what you are going to gain eternally in Christ. In heaven, in the other reality, the other re it's not just a figment of our imagination. My daughter today praises God. I don't know if she can see me. I've studied the Bible, but I've said this over and over. She can see the Savior that sees me. And no matter who you've lost, if they're in Christ, they're there and you can cheer and praise God for it. And if they're not, well then pray for all those you know that aren't Christians. You know, the only reason why I keep doing anything I do is the fact that I just do not, I don't know about you, I, I don't want anyone to go to hell. I believe just as much in heaven as I do hell. And if I, if I am given the grace through faith to escape hell and, my, and the consequences of my sins in Christ, then anybody, I don't care how bad they are. Have you talked to somebody? I talked to someone the other day and they said, oh my gosh, if I came into church, the, 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 what do they say? The ceiling of falling. You've heard that a hundred times. Oh my goodness, Will you please start telling them? If that would have happened when I came, the ceiling would have fell in too. It still would keep falling in if you knew my thoughts sometimes and my, my actions and my reactions to things. But see, though God slays me, I want to have the type of hope that says, though God slays me, I still hope in him. Move it on to chapter 19. I'm just giving you the basic truths here. There's so many more. Job speaks from more hope he has in these truths. And he says, this is Job talking. He says, oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll. This is chapter 19, starting with verse 23. That they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. <laughs> Guess what? We're just now reading it. I, I don't know that he ever knew. He said, oh, that people would know what happened to me. If they just write it down, guess what? I don't think God ever said, hey, I am going to write that down. Would you move on? I, I don't see any place in here that that happens. And then he says something, and friends, this is where the joy comes for you and me. Oh, man, 
I, I, I'm telling you, no matter how you've responded in the past to suffering or trials or heartache or anything else, you need to know this is where we live. And last week's message actually was the climax of what I'm talking about here. Roger's message last week, hope in grace, that is ultimately where our hope lies. In the grace of God through Jesus Christ. He says, now I don't know how much revelation Job had, but not as much as me and you have, I don't think. Anyway, in the Bible it doesn't tell us, but yet he says this, I know that my Redeemer lives. Let's stop there. Do you know that your Redeemer lives? Do we know that our Redeemer lives? Oh yeah, what's a Redeemer? The one who rescued and delivered us from the bondage of sin and the penalties of God's violated laws. Mm. That's our Redeemer. We sung about it how many times, even this morning. I'm like, I don't know if Paul looked at my message. It's not hard to figure out what we're worshiping around here. Let me tell you what we're worshiping, and we may not be doing it perfectly. No one does. We're not up here to entertain you or anything else. We're here to say, oh, my Redeemer lives. And because my Redeemer lives, I have joy beyond understanding. I have promises from God that one day I'll spend eternity with Him in a reality called heaven forever and ever and ever and ever and he will wipe away every tear. Wipe away every heartache. Wow. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. Ooh, do you see the truth in that? came as a baby. What are we looking forward to now? He's going to stand again on this earth. And if you feel like we've lose, lost some battles here on this earth, oh, take comfort. We know who wins, right? Amen. We are on the winning side. I don't care if they came in and, and put a bomb in this church now and said, all you Christians, we're going to blow you up. We still win. They don't win. Unbelieving world doesn't win. Satan does not win. Our Redeemer's already won for us. And in the end, he will stand on earth, literally stand on earth. Listen to this truth in verse 26. I love this. And after my skin has been destroyed, notice he's talking about the grave. After I've been put in the grave, Bible talks about after worms have eaten my flesh, my flesh is all gone. In my flesh, I will see God. Now that is a profound truth, is it not? Even goes as far. He says, I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. When we die as Christians, yes, our body's put in the grave. Our soul and spirit goes automatically. We're ushered into the presence of God. But our final hope is in the time when that soul and spirit will reunite with this resurrected body. It's not an argument in the body, that's in the Bible. That's going to happen. We'll be reunited with our resurrected body. And in this body, now friends, I know it'll be changed. It has to be changed. This body now cannot look upon the glory of God without dying. Because I am just too sinful. I'm too sinful in this flesh. Just too sinful. Well, one of these days, yet this body will be resurrected and I and you will see him with the eyes you're looking at me right now with. Perfect 20-20. Probably about 10-10. 5-5. I don't know. And not another. And then he says, my heart yearns within me. Oh, our hearts yearn within us. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Why is, why is this so hard for us 
to say, oh, we're sinners. Christ says he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming, Christ became the curse for us, for it is written, curse is everyone who's hung on a pole or on a tree. Christ was the curse for us. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us from it? For himself, listen to this one. I, I gotta, I gotta go back and say this. We gotta take some time. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us for himself? He did that for himself. Christ did that for himself. It says to to become a people that are his very own. Do you know how intimate this is? Christ just simply does not want you to walk around even now and go, oh yeah, okay. I, I, this Christianity thing should go to our desires and our emotions. It's not an emotion. Of, it, we're not to, to be Christians that don't have no emotions. The word of God should, should instruct our minds direct our will, and pull out the desires, the intimacies of our heart towards God. Don't ever, that's why God says, the greatest commandment is that you love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I know this side of eternity will never do that, but that's our goal, right? I at least now in Christ do love him. But there's times when I don't love him more than me. There's times when I don't love him more than my sin. But then I go to him in prayer and I say, God, help me to love you more. And you know what our Jesus does? Let me tell you what a wonderful God we serve. He looks at us and he goes, come, come back to me. You know, he's not the kind of God that just, I'm gonna be. no, he's the kind of God that says, if you desire that, come back to me. You know, one of the things I've learned over my lifetime, because I'm really bad at this, and I don't know about some of you, but I want to fill you in on this. As a Christian, when you're walking through your life, you're still going to sin at times. You're still going to blow it, and you may blow it really bad. Let's just use King David as an example. He should have been at war. He wasn't at war. He had an affair. He ended up, that, that just blew up in his face, and he ended up killing Bathsheba's husband. That, that's a bad thing, okay? That all went bad. That went bad. But yet when he truly repented, did God not restore him? Yes, he suffered the consequences, but God, these are some truths we need to know. God still restored him. So no matter what happened in your life or in the past, you need to know you have the kind of God that if you truly repent, he wants you to run to him. Don't run away from him. That's what I, I get so mad at myself and I get so down on myself. I just want to give up and run away from God and say, that's it. And I get in my quiet time and he says, are you crazy? No, he doesn't say it like that. But God, God puts this yearning in my heart and he says, no. Haven't you, don't you understand me yet? Run to me. Run to me. Over and over. That's why I know I'm not saved by any good works. I'm saved by the finished work of my beloved Christ on the cross because he still says, run to me, run to me. Last one, Job's last reply, and this is found in Job 42, verses 1 through 6. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be throtted. If I pronounce that right. In other words, God wants to do it, He's going to do it. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Job's speaking here. He says, You said, He's talking to God, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. And we know in the book of Job this happened a lot. 
God said, where were you when I created this? Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did this? Do I need your permission to do this? Do I need your permission to do that? And it, no, God, you don't. And this is where Job lands. He says, therefore, I despise myself. Now you say, well, that isn't, that isn't good psychological whatever. Those of us that are Christian, you know what he means by that, right? Do you not despise your sin? After you've come to know Christ, there's not thing. You go, oh, Lord, I can't wait to get rid of this flesh and get rid of this sin. I just despise it. Like Paul said, I don't do the things I want to do, and I end up doing the things I don't want to do. That's, that's the Christian life. And he says this. He says, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. As we become Christians, not only when you become a Christian do you repent. Have you all learned there's a lot of repenting along the way? That's what's going on with... He says, not only did I hear you, but I've seen you. And he says, I despise myself. Look at every prophet. That's what happened to him. They see God. They hear God. And they, I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. I repent. We repent. So, Lord, today we say... We repent before you. And then God, let me tell you what he's saying to you right now. Then come to me. It's what he always says. Whether it's your first time coming to him, he says, repent and come to me. Or whether you're a believer and you're like, oh, I got this, this thing I'm dealing with. God's saying, repent and come to me. Bottom line here, what I see in the book of Job, and the reason why I've read it so many times, and there's many more truths you can glean from the book of Job. Is I think Job believed in God's character. He knew so many truths about him. And God tells us today, do you believe me? That's what faith is. Faith is not faith in just faith or faith in something else. It's faith in God the creator of the universe, the one that has promised all this stuff, the one that went to the cross and died for our sins, that's my faith. When someone says, if they ever do, Preston, he's a man of faith, you better believe it's not faith and faith, it's faith in Christ. Bottom line, it's not faith in something else, it's faith in God, it's faith in God's character. Lately I've just been like, God, you are just awesome God that created everything and just, I'm, I'm going to believe you. And what I mean by character is, you guys know each other well enough in here, some of you. You know people of good character. And I used this illustration before, but if there are several of you in here, a bunch of you, that if I'm preaching here, now I'm busy here preaching, and you ran through the door and said, Preston, I need the keys to your car. Throw them to me now. No questions. Throw me your keys. I'd go here. I'd go here. I'd go, you're all over the place. I've known you, some of you, my whole life. I would throw you my keys without any question. Because I believe in your character. I know you just wouldn't come to me asking for something just out of the blue if you didn't really need them. There was an emergency. But God's way, he's way bigger than that. God says no matter what, Believe in my character. You know, the only place in the New Testament we find anybody talking about Job is in James. And he says, look at the perseverance of James. And then he says something. I love this, and I, I really am going to close with this. He says this when I find it. Hold on. It's here someplace. Okay, Job's five, or James 5.11. It says, as you know, we count as a blessing those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. One of the things we're supposed to see here, and if you haven't, see it, is how compassionate and merciful God was. And some of you say, oh my goodness, that wasn't very merciful and compassionate. You know what happens later on? He gives back Job everything he lost. He gives him back all of his sons and daughters. He doubles the amount of everything else he has. So he gave him back all that. So we're supposed to learn that God is merciful and compassionate. Now my big take from the book is that we're supposed to learn that our God's a big God. A 
God of we can trust 100% of the time through no matter what we've went through. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessings you've given us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. As last week we looked, we know it all comes down to we're saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I know we're saved on two good works, but that isn't what saves us. It's the finished work of Christ. And we're supposed to die to self and live a resurrected life in Christ. Help us do that. Help us to trust in your character and who you are in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name.